Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. The good news is that burnout is actually easier to recover from than chronic anxiety and depression. So if we're talking about comparing those three, both all very serious mental health disorders, burnout is faster and easier to bounce back from because it requires two things. One, eliminating your burnout triggers once you've identified them. Once you have identified them, really figuring out where can I take my power back even in small ways. And two, adding in rest and renewal. Hey everybody, it's Ash here from the U-Turn Podcast, and I'm so excited to bring a friend here on the show in the work category because God knows we all need some elevation in our work lives always. Um, So I want to introduce you to Emily Aries. She's an author as well as the founder and the CEO of Bossed Up, which is an online career community, and she's the host of the Bossed Up Podcast, which we just did an interview with me on. And of course, she's a fellow DC lady like me. She has a history of working in the political world. So much to ask her about. But today, I figured we would talk about how to overcome burnout. Because as you know, that's something that I've been through. It's something she's been through. And if you're a human being trying to hustle in your career, you're probably on your way there or you've been through it already. And I don't wish it upon you. But when it comes, I'm sure you're probably stuck wondering, have I lost myself? What do I do? And so I wanted to ask her um, some steps to overcome burnout. So... Emily, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you for having me, Ashley. It's great to be here. Yeah, you are. You are so well-spoken and you have so much information about burnout that I'm curious, obviously, to understand like what led you to be such an expert at this. Great question. So I think like most of us, I started a conversation that I desperately needed to benefit from myself. It was only really three years out of college in the midst of the Great Recession when I found myself reaching my point of complete and utter burnout. I had been uh, really fortunate to step into a leadership role at a young age as the president's youngest state director in the nation, serving on behalf of the Obama administration's uh, organizing for America. And so I was in this really privileged role, but I felt like every day I needed to save the world. And that meant, you know, running off to political networking events and voter registration drives and networking happy hours every night, working all day, every day, and just drove myself into the ground, um, thinking that the same skills that earned me an A in school would translate nicely into success after schools, you know, hierarchy really fell by the wayside. And unfortunately, that's not how things work. 
Uh, I found myself waiting for the end of a semester that was never going to arrive, waiting for someone else to give me permission to bring rest and renewal into my routine. Um, and that, you know, it kept me waiting for three years until I finally was driving through my alma mater's campus in Rhode Island, seeing these students, you know, walk across the crosswalk in front of my car. And I remember just feeling so tired of being tired. Mm-hmm. I was slumped over my steering wheel. I don't know if you've ever felt that like bone tired that just hits you mm-hmm. deep in your bones. But I felt at that moment a deep sense of envy. I wanted what those students had. And I was supposed to be three years ahead of the game. <laughs> and I wanted the clear parameters of a syllabus of knowing how I was being measured, how my success was being measured and the permission that they had to go home for Thanksgiving break, which is where they were all headed. And it was in that moment of, you know, I'm a frustration crier and I had some frustration tears in my little car at that moment thinking I'm in my, for all intents and purposes, dream job. Why am I so envious of these students who are three years my junior? Um, And that made me realize that the way I was working wasn't gonna work for the long term, and that if I wanted a career with impact, if I wanted a sustainable career that would allow me to, to do what I want to do in this world and really sustain my ambition, I was going to have to change the way I was working. Mm-hmm. So that was the beginning of me becoming a total geek about understanding burnout better and how to prevent it, how to find my way back from it. Mm, God, my bones heard you talking when you said <laughs> the tiredness in your bones. It was like my little yeah. bones were like, I know that. Yeah. Um, what do you think many of us do? Because it's basically an epidemic in our country right now. It's not even a personal problem anymore. Even though burnout is a serious mental health diagnosis, it's also a cultural problem. Like we have a burnout culture in the United States right now that prizes busy and hustle hard over rest, renewal, and long-term sustainability. Well, and you know, as an entrepreneur, it's like I've had a team supporting me. And, you know, of course it's like, I want every penny that this business earns to be productive if I'm putting money out. And so it's this interesting compassion I have for employers as well, who are like, especially the entrepreneur, that's the small business owner that made it all happen and risked it and have had their successes and failures. It's like, I have such a soft spot in my heart for them because I'm like, I understand. And it's like, I understand the desire to want everybody to care about your company as much as you. And so it's like also this challenge of like, yeah, the country does prioritize hustle and working hard because the entrepreneur wants every, you know, dollar they're putting out to go yeah. to work. And I think sometimes there's this misunderstanding that um, people can just indefinitely work themselves to the bone and not go on vacation. And I've seen all the statistics of people who don't <laughs> right. take their vacation So really fascinating. I'm curious, um, you know, it sounds like that was the moment for you that you realized like I'm on the way to burnout. Did you know it in that moment? Like this is the beginning of the end. Okay. I think it was an awakening for me, but just to speak to your mention there for a moment about the employer perspective, one of the statistics I found really compelling, especially when I go around to companies and I speak at like international fortune 500 conglomerates about burnout is that the cost of driving your workers into the ground is actually really high. I think it was the APA, the American Psychological Association, that found businesses lose out on $300 billion a year due to stress-related waste. So absenteeism, employee turnover, and attrition. Like Having happy, healthy, engaged workers means 
that for the price of, of striving for something more sustainable, you actually save money um, in, in reducing stress-related lack of productivity. Yeah, and I've also just read a couple articles for me writing for my own, own Forbes column. I saw, you know, the article with one of the most compelling titles I've seen is that uh-huh. employees don't leave jobs, they leave bosses. And so there's also yeah, the human so connection true. element. And it is so true. Um, and also, I read another article about how the top performers are being punished with more work. Like, oh, great, you're <laughs> right. a top performer. So now that you're done, you did something in one hour that would have taken five other employees eight hours to do. I'm going to reward you with 20 more hours of work. And so I think there's also this m- mindset in this culture. Um, and it feels kind of like intimidating as I'm talking to you now. I'm like, wow, what's the answer? You know, because... Good question, yeah. The <laughs> entrepreneur is paying for performance and they're paying for 40 hour work week. And then at the same time, there's highly capable people that can put things out much sooner. So I'm curious when it comes to the warning signs of burnout, I'm guessing that before you had that moment in your car where your bones were crying and wanting to be a student, that there were little indicators. And so I'm curious for anybody listening right now, like what are some of those early signs that maybe you muffled or didn't let yourself know? Yeah, it's a tough one from a diagnostic standpoint, because burnout can be a gateway diagnosis to more serious mental health disorders like anxiety and depression. Um, So I want to be clear that burnout is not synonymous with depression or anxiety, but can be very often seen in conjunction with those two. So I'm thinking about whether you have burnout, whether you're really arriving at that point, you have to understand um, burnout's root causes. And first I should say that the World Health Organization defines burnout as this diagnosable mental health condition characterized by a state of chronic stress. So we're not talking about a bad week. We're not talking about a bad day or even a bad month. This is stress that never seems like it's going anywhere. Mm. It's often talked about in, um, in caretaking, uh, careers Mm -hmm. where you're an ER doctor, And that's just the nature of the beast is that your job is incredibly stressful. You don't see any way to change it. You don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. You exist in a very stressful environment permanently. And that's, you know, it feels like there's no end. Um, The cycle of poverty could be related in that same way, right? Seeing yourself as not an agent of change in your life is one of the four root causes of burnout, a lack of agency, not feeling like you're in the, you're in the driver's seat. (laughs) And as ironic as it was at that moment, when I was driving through my alma mater's campus, even though I was very literally in the driver's seat, I also felt like I was just going along with my career. Like I was a passenger watching the world pass me by and I didn't have any sense of control. Um, and to be quite candid with you and your listeners, the reality was it wasn't just the fact that I felt like I needed to prove myself worthy in my job, but I also was in a really toxic relationship at the time. Mm. And sometimes we feel a lack of agency because you're in a controlling, manipulative, totally unhealthy relationship like I was with this incredibly brilliant, smart, wonderful man who happens to have struggled with alcoholism. Mm, gosh. And so he was, yeah, he was 10 years older than me. I was living with him it felt like I wasn't in charge of my personal life, much less my professional life. And so those, those two things confounded, you know, they were related in how they made me feel 
Like I didn't really, I wasn't in the driver's seat. I wasn't really steering my own life, which can lead anybody to burnout. You know, you, you mentioned a really good point. Well, a lot of good points. I feel almost overwhelmed with good points. So the first thing I think is that really pointing out for people that you can't be thrilled in your personal life if you're miserable in your professional life. It's not like we right. are, we're human beings. So if you're miserable from nine to five, it's not like you can turn on a smile at 5.01 PM. <laughs> right. And so I think it's really important to realize that your personal does leak into your professional and your professional does leak into your personal. And it's also for the better. So if you want to create a positive ripple effect, it's like, okay, what can you do in your personal life that's going to bring you more to the table in your professional life? Maybe it's working out. Maybe it's seeing friends and that brings you some sort of joy that you bring to your desk the next morning. So it's like really starting to get connected to what brings you joy. I also think, you know, you mentioned the ER doctor and I could do more of a conversation on this for those of you listening on the post episode conversation, but around the what versus the how. And what I mean is, Mm. I think a lot of people focus in their early career on what they want to do. So I want to be an ear doctor. I love science. I love healing people. I love this, this, this. But what they forget to look at is the how of how that job is going to look. The hours. Does it honor their core value? The culture? How their body operates? Can their body do that? Um, And so I think too many people are making um, too much emphasis on the what of what they're going to do. And they're not thinking about the context of who they are as a soul in the world, having their human experience um, and how their body operates, how their mind and how their soul operates. Because that ER doctor job is good for some of my friends who... I literally comment, they are ER doctors. And I'm like, you're a machine. You know, they come out out of the ER at midnight and I'm out dancing at the club with my friends and they show up in a different outfit. They got their scrubs off. I'm like, bless, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then there's other friends like me where like, I would die. I would, I would die. I would, I would be like a, like a expired, like tater tot at the nightclub (laughs) at midnight. And some of them are. Totally. You know? I think it takes time. It takes time and experimentation and a willingness to see the how as valuable. Mm-hmm. Like asking yourself, yes, this is what I want to do, but is there a way for me to adjust the how? Can I negotiate on the how? Can I iterate on the how by finding a new job with different parameters that do align with my core values? And it takes time. You know, I think everyone's career has multiple acts. And I think giving yourself time to iterate on the how and experiment with how you show up in the world and have the same impact you want to have is a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, I was just interviewed, um, I think by Steve Harvey and somebody asked me, you know, what would you say to your younger self if you could go back and look at her? And I remember thinking like the only words that came to my mouth were it's only up from here. And the funny thing about that is that people really buy into the belief that when a career doesn't work for them, a job doesn't work for them, that they're going to take a pay cut and they're going downhill. But to me, that job was always not going to work out. You were always going to explore it. You were always going to figure out it was going to work out. And you were always going to want to do this thing or that thing next. And if you really trust your journey, it's like you're going up because this calibration with the universe is happening and you're learning about yourself and you're actualizing. And that's so much that that brings so much to your life and to your purpose and to who you are in the world because you know in the end not to get all morbid here on U-Turn podcast but we all die and it's yeah. like what's the point of life to figure out who you are so i'm curious mm-hmm. like when you realize this burnout like how did you accept it what did you do next mm. 
Yeah. So figuring out that I was experiencing a lack of agency, which is one of the four root causes of burnout was a big turning point for me. I also looked at the other three underlying root causes, which are a lack of rest. I was not sleeping regularly or well, Uh, a lack of community. I was totally isolated from all of my college friends who had dispersed across the country and I'd stayed behind in Rhode Island and felt extremely isolated in that relationship. And then a lack of purpose. Now, ironically, I didn't feel a lack of purpose. I had a very purpose-driven job and career and community, and that felt good. So it's also acknowledging that not everything in your life has to be completely off for you to get to this burnout bottom moment. Um, but once I recognized those, those warning signs, I needed help, (laughs) you know, recognizing that I was worthy of help. I actually talked to my primary care physician of all people at my annual checkup and just found myself bawling on the exam table, talking about all the issues that I'd been facing and not just burnout, but really the relationship that had triggered a lot of my stress. Mm. And she was like, let's get you into a therapist's office. And I was like, me, it's my boyfriend who needs therapy. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, well, if I want him to go to therapy, I can't not be willing to do the same. So she got me into a really great therapist's office. And it was through that framework of having someone to talk to who was a professional to work on my own mental health, I accelerated my progress. I mean, things started changing really quickly once I was able to talk it out with someone who reminded me that I'm worthy Mm. of my own choices being my mine in my life. Mm. I love that you broke it down into four things. I I mean, I don't know if it's the content course creator in me like you, where I'm like, perfect, (laughs) four things. But just like unpacking it, you, you know, so for those of you listening, cause I know you guys tell me you take notes Four root causes of burnout, yeah. agency, rest, community, purpose. Those are the four categories. Right. So agency, meaning you don't feel like you have control, right? And Correct. rest, straightforward, community, straightforward, purpose, straightforward. So one thing I'll say about purpose though, is yeah. that you don't need to gain your sense of purpose from your job. Your purpose doesn't need to yield a paycheck, but I always say to folks, especially, um, folks in, more monotonous career paths, like the financial analysts that I talked to and gave a keynote burnout or a burnout keynote speech to last week, I said, listen, nobody's expecting your accounting work to derive, you know, to be the place from which you derive a sense of deep meaning and purpose. And that's okay. But it's not okay to not gain that sense of purpose from anywhere else in your life, whether it means being a scout leader or uh, uh, a parent or other volunteer activities you do, or civic engagement, or running for office, you need to have a sense of purpose that you express somehow in your life, whether or not it yields a paycheck. And I love that you clarify that because it's so interesting. I think um, I was listening to Esther Perel, the relationship expert, talk yeah. about how people are expecting from their relationship what they, what in history humans used to expect from an entire village. And <laughs> I see that with career. It's like, this needs to be my purpose. I need to feel like I'm using all my skills. I need to love my job. And a lot of people are surprised by me as a career coach because I'm always curious, like, well, do you like what you're doing? And are you growing a skill set that you want to be growing and investing in in your career? Because then you're doing pretty well. And I think it surprises people when I don't come from, you need to be obsessed with this and absolutely love it and feel like it's your purpose because I think that there's so much to life and work is one part of it. And although we spend two thirds of our waking time at work, um, there's just so much more 
there. So, okay, so identify, num step number one to overcome burnout is obviously to figure out what the root cause is. Right. Um, so in your case, you felt like it was really a lack of agency. Was it also a lack of rest, like, t and, and community? Yeah. Okay. I mean, so it's really about identifying the triggers of your burnout in your life. So where do I feel a lack of agency? For me, it was uh, in my relationship. I felt like I was in a really controlling relationship. I felt like I didn't have the choice to live where I wanted to live, and I didn't have the uh, you know, even though I had a ton of autonomy in my position, I didn't really take advantage of that autonomy too. So just identifying where do I feel and when do I feel a lack of agency with whom do I feel a lack of agency was key for me. Then it was looking at rest. I really spent the last 10 years working on sleep because I'm the kind of person who was like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Uh, I used to pull all nerves in college all the time. I, I felt like sleep was always a waste of time. Even as a kid, as a child, I didn't want to, you know, do nap time because there was important playing to be done. <laughs> so I never valued sleep until my mental health required it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm a proud eight hours a night person all the time. And it took it took intentional effort to make that a priority in my life. And it made me realize that I can be so much better, not only to the people I love in my life, but also in my, in showing up for my customers, my clients, my, my community, I do better work when I'm well rested. Mm -hmm. And then community was kind of the same way. I didn't value FaceTime with friends. I didn't think of that as an essential prerequisite to a healthy mental situation, right? To a, a foundation of strong mental health. When in fact, there's a loneliness epidemic in our world right now, where even though we're hyper-connected online, if you don't spend quality time with friends on the regular, it doesn't have to be a ton of them, but it has to be high quality relationships, then you are at risk of burning out. You are at risk of struggling with mental health because those friendships are not negotiable. They're really a, a foundational component to mental health. And, you know, I'm just looking at my own and also curious to ask you, like, what it really looks like when somebody's burnt out. But before I even ask you about that, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, when was I the most burnt out? It was when I created a business with my webinar, I created my job hunt course, you know, the company did millions and then I lost everything because Facebook ads got very expensive and I went into denial about it and kept pumping my business. So I remember when I had debt. I felt an extraordinary lack of agency. Like, oh my gosh, this is a half million dollars of debt. How am I going to do this? And a lot of people said, just claim bankruptcy. And there was something inside of me that was like, I won't do that. Like mm -hmm. I created this and I'm going to get myself out. And so for a lot of, um, not a lot of years, for two years, I mean, up until recently, like did I completely pay out my debts? And, um, you know, luckily I had another company I started. It paid for my life and all of these things. Um, but I felt an extraordinary lack of agency. Like I have to work yeah. to pay the bills. And I think a lot of people feel like that with money where they're like, I am hustling and I don't have control over how I feel about this job because this is what's paying the bills. Yes. Um, what feedback do you have for somebody who's listening right now? And that's the story that they're buying into. I think we often see our status quo as a fixed thing as something that cannot be changed. And so this is happening to me. I am a victim of the circumstances that are present in my life. And I identify as I can't bring any more money than this. I can't afford this. That's the money relationship my parents have with finance that I absolutely inherited and have worked very hard to change over time. And for, for 
anyone who's struggling with those feelings of burnout and I just can't, you know, that kind of that guttural punch in the gut that makes you feel like it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a voice that comes from a place of fear and anxiety. And we need to negotiate with that voice. Mm-hmm. We need to reframe that voice to say, what can I do? What is the power I can take in this situation? What are the choices I do have control over? And really map out, okay, these are my triggers. What micro steps can I take towards eliminating them? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not going to happen tomorrow, but maybe looking for another job, looking to change my relationship with my income is something that I should prioritize. Is something that I can spend my Saturday mornings working on um, moving forward. But it, I, I hear what you're saying, Ashley, because so many folks are in a financial position, which is just trying to get by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a quote I want to remember. Hold on. I think it's Beyonce said something about power is not given. It's taken. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I always want to, I always like quoting Beyonce whenever I can, Obviously. quite Such frankly. Such an important person to be quoting at all times. And, yeah. And she said, power is not given to you. It is taken. Yeah. And it's just a, it's a mindset shift. It's a, a framework shift of seeing yourself as beholden to your circumstances mm-hmm. versus taking power over changing your circumstances, which takes a little bit of entitlement, a good form of entitlement, mm-hmm. right? One that I want more women, especially to embrace unapologetically, especially in a world that can be really hostile towards women and people of color and have told us our whole lives you know, you have to be twice as good to go half as far and, and these systems of oppression are acting upon you. Mm. We can look that injustice in the eye and still say, I'm going to take more power. I'm going to take more power over my own life, over my own choices. And I don't care if you like it. I love this. And this brings us perfectly into your second point. So those of you who have gone through point numero uno, identifying (laughs) burnout triggers and root causes, the four being um, agency, rest, community, and purpose. Now it's about step two, eliminating the triggers. So I'm curious, you know, like, so let's say, and I always like to make myself the guinea pig, not only because U-Turn Podcast is becoming Ashley's coaching hour, but because I feel like everybody (laughs) seems to be thinking the questions I'm asking for myself is... Okay, so let's say in um, your case, it was rest and community and agency and all these things. For me, um, when I was going through my burnout, like rest was one of those challenging things where I did have eight hours available, but I couldn't sleep because I was so anxious sometimes. Um, I've always had community. I've always felt a lot of purpose in my community as well. Like I think that these things can overlap sometimes. Um, My relationships feel like such a purpose in my life for me. Um, But when it came to agency, it's like, okay... I have massive debt and I did so many things to clear the debt and to, you know, I created courses and did all of these things. Um, those of you who bought the Career Clarity Lab, you know, you you early buyers supported me in getting out of this hole um, as a business. But also, you know, like, what are some st- steps yeah. um, for somebody listening who maybe feels like they have, and we can go through all four of these no agency, no rest, no community, no purpose. And before I even ask you more about that, what does it look like when somebody is in burnout? Because we talked about the four root causes, but what does it look like to the eye? Well, okay. There's a lot of, there's a lot of great questions in there. Let me answer your last one first, because, uh, if you look at the clinical definition of burnout from the world health organization, 
Um, it's characterized by feelings of a lack of in uh, a lack of effectiveness, a sense of a lack of agency, seeing no way out. Your choices don't impact your outcomes. And then it's interesting because it also can manifest with cynicism and detachment. So if I'm a burnt out, you know, organizer working on behalf of the president, I started off as the most excited, eager beaver, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed worker you can imagine. And three years in, I was like, does this even matter? Mm. Does it even matter what I do? So sometimes your cynicism, the detachment emotionally from your labor or from your community that you used to really care about is a warning sign that manifests a lot um, beyond the obvious stuff, like physical and emotional exhaustion are also key indicators. So being slumped over my steering wheel, bone tired, frustration crying, that's a definite warning sign as well. It can look very exhausted or it can look really cynical. Mm. Either way, it belies this underlying belief that it doesn't matter what you do. There's no way out. Mm, Hopelessness is a very dangerous thing to peddle, right? Hopelessness is a very dangerous mindset. Um, anyone, actually, my dad actually worked in a suicide prevention hotline role after graduating from law school when he was, I think he volunteered. And a lot of the training he gained from preparing to talk to people who were considering ending their own lives has to do with rejecting hopelessness mm. because hopelessness is a very dangerous spiral of a sensation that makes you feel like there's no way out. And even when you're in half a million dollars of debt, or even when your family left you and, and it feels like everything you had is gone, you have to work to prevent hopelessness from clouding your judgment. And if you can't, because who can, like, that's why I was in a therapist's office. Cause I can't do this shit alone. And very few of us can, it's really important to ask for help. Mm. So to, to seek out resources, especially, um, and we can share the suicide prevention hotline number, hopefully in the show notes too. But like, especially if you're dealing not only with burnout, but also anxiety and depression, like you don't need to go this road alone. Mm -hmm. It's important to work with someone else to make sure hopelessness is an idea that's kept at bay. Mm -hmm. And you know, um, one of the things as a fellow person who's gone to my annual physical and cried to my doctor, I so, (laughs) I so deeply understand you. Yeah. Um, you know, I've cried to her before and she said to me and she really explained that when you are in high stress, your body is in fight or flight, right? And Mm -hmm. your body in, when you think about your body in fight or flight, um, from a historical origin standpoint, um, think about like the caveman, right? It's like, if he's fighting a saber toothed tiger, his body is in fight or flight. And this is something that I learned from Emily Fletcher about meditation. So when your body is in fight or flight, um, it, there's certain functions that your body slows down on doing, for example, digestion. There's so many different functions your body slows down to enable you to go into fight or flight. Why? Because your body doesn't care to digest mm-hmm. if you're about to die. It's going right. into fight or flight, which is what happens with anxiety, fear, panic, and worry. And what my doctor was describing was that typically after the fight or flight period is over, your brain starts to relax. And that's why after intense periods of anxiety, um, right when you're your body has a moment to stop being in that exhaustion, that's when everything falls apart. So it's almost like Mm -hmm. your body can support you for short periods of time 
sprints to handle something. But then after, that's why you get brain fog. You're disoriented. You're very forgetful. Um, You're getting in fender benders. You forget your wallet at home. You lost your wallet. Like all these things happen as a as a response to heightened anxiety or. What's really important about what you just said is the difference between chronic stress, which leads to that kind of brain fog, not brain frog, uh, versus acute stress. So I'm a kickboxer. I love going to kickboxing classes and we just got a, a, a boxing Oh God, shit. Now I just outed myself as kind of not a big kickboxer. What's it called? A punching bag. <laughs> we got a punching bag in the garage as of two days ago that I'm really excited about, but I already have like bruises from using too much. And I love that fight. I love a a physically challenging fight or flight response for a limited period of time. Because with acute stress, just like a high intensity interval workout, it's the difference between acute stress and periods of renewal, intervals of rest that build your body's muscle. So acute stress is actually really good for your body and your brain. Chronic stress is akin to doing a marathon every day. That would not be good for your body. You're not going to get stronger if you run 26 something miles a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's really ironic and sad, but the reality is that your brain on chronic stress actually diminishes your brain's ability to manage stress. There's a part of our brain that helps us manage stress itself, and that part gets deteriorated over time. If you're experiencing chronic stress, that's what leads to brain fog and all the forgetfulness and feeling like just a total failure all the time. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I'm sure a lot of people right now listening are like wanting to ship bricks because they're thinking to themselves, like I'm chronically stressed. Like this has been three to five years of like, especially like I've had a lot of coaching uh, clients that are lawyers or doctors that want to get out. And it's like, they are just in fight or flight for like five years time starting with law school. So obviously, you know, on the U-Turn podcast, I'm always trying to make sure not all hope is lost, but I'm curious, is all hope lost for people who are chronically stressed or what can they do (laughs) to come back? Who would I be if I said yes? First of all, (laughs) obviously no. Um, The good news is that burnout is actually easier to recover from than chronic anxiety and depression. So if we're talking about comparing those three, both all very serious mental health disorders, burnout is faster and easier to bounce back from because it requires two things. One, eliminating your burnout triggers once you've identified them. Once you have identified them, um, really figuring out where can I take my power back even in small ways. And two, adding in rest and renewal. And that can look as simple as a challenge I just posted on my Instagram story today, asking my my followers, send me a picture of you eating your lunch today, not at your desk. Because this came up with a recent audience I was working with on burnout. They, The majority of them said one of the key burnout triggers for a lack of rest showed up in their daily life in the form of always eating their lunch at their desk. And Mm. that didn't leave them feeling renewed. 
obviously. And I get it. I'm the kind of person who wants to prioritize efficiency, but we actually detract from our engagement and the quality of brain power that we're bringing to our afternoon when we deny our bodies and our brains a moment of rest and renewal at lunch. And 60% of my Instagram followers said on Monday, yeah, I, I ate lunch at my desk today. So I really want to challenge people to not just eliminate the triggers, but also think about where can I add in rest, whether it's passive rest, like taking a lunch break or active rest, like the flow state that my body and brain get into when I play the drums. You know, it doesn't look like putting a face mask on, but it leaves me feeling just as renewed as uh, a moment of passive rest. God, I love that. And I, I'm so glad I asked you to define burnout a little bit because uh, to me, I'm, I'm kind of curious just listening to you around chronic anxiety, chronic stress, burnout. Like, um, are these things really separate? Because to me, it feels like when you're on the way to burnout, it's because you often have been in chronic anxiety or stress. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a doctor, I should say, but Dr. Emily from Boston, (laughs) I, I would love to dive more into this clinically. But what I know is that the way mental health professionals categorize different, um, disorders is really important Mm -hmm. in terms of the, the agreed upon industry norms for how to treat it. So whereas depression and anxiety might benefit from medication, Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to like cognitive behavioral therapy, burnout rarely requires that kind of medication intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really about re seeing with fresh eyes or sort of a new framework, where can I take my power back? And I would say first, identify, okay, what are the triggers that make me feel a lack of rest, a lack of agency, a lack of, a lack of community and a lack of purpose and actually writing it all out, you know, once a week, looking back on your week and saying, wow, on Friday, I felt a lack of rest because I got six hours of sleep or on Tuesday, I felt a lack of agency because I was forced into sitting through a three hour meeting that didn't pertain to me and felt really like a waste of my time. And so really getting crystal clear on those triggers so you can start negotiating them, start being assertive about taking your power back, even in small ways about how to get yourself out of feeling triggered for burnout. Mm -hmm. And then of course, the next step being once you've identified your burnout triggers and started negotiating them or assertively getting yourself into a better situation, where are there opportunities in my every day or every week or even every month to proactively insert rest and renewal Mm. and whatever that looks like. Mm. And and when it's eliminating triggers, I think, you know, after people have identified the root cause in step one and going into step two of eliminating triggers, it's like, I can imagine that would be intimidating for somebody who's been caught in a vortex for a long time of like, I like, for example, it it is interesting because everybody has their own stuff, right? Like, so for me, community is rock solid. It's been something I gravitate towards. It's a natural state, but I have a couple girlfriends that tell me like, that's not my case. Like you're my best, best friend and I don't have community. So, um, and then, you know, and then of course that person might have a lot of agency and that's something that I feel like, Oh my God, I have this speaking engagement, that book deadline, this, you know, these course clients. And sometimes it's easy to feel, especially as an entrepreneur, like you don't have control. So when you say kind of like eliminating triggers, I think the concept of agency or rest or community or purpose are very big concepts. So how can we kind of break these down to help people get to know their triggers? 
I'll use your friend as an example because I can relate to feeling a lack of community in my life because it wasn't a natural state for me. And, you know, the the biggest thing I had to realize was that I have to fight for bringing more community into my life. It's not something that's going to happen by itself. I have to be really mindful and very assertive about that. And the biggest chapter in my book is about assertive communication, how to own your voice, how to speak your power, how to make it happen in kind of a way that's not just a negotiation with others, but sometimes is a negotiation with yourself. So one of the things I did right away to bring more community in my life was I set up a recurring monthly Google Hangout with all my best college friends. And we just had it last night and just having a Google alert <laughs> and we shouldn't have to obviously have a calendar alert for every moment of friends, <laughs> but, but, you know, just having that little reminder brings more intention and, and turns it into a habit, um, that always leaves me feeling refreshed and renewed and rejuvenated and, and reconnected in a meaningful way. Similarly, I was growing pretty envious of my husband, Brad, who has this every Wednesday night wing night get together with a bunch of his guy friends here in Denver. So every Wednesday they have like 25 cent wings at some bar and he always makes it a priority to go hang out. And I always know he's not going to be around on Wednesday night. So I used to sit at home alone, twiddling my thumbs and feeling generally bummed out. Like, well, I'm not mad that he's not here. I'm just bummed that I'm not out there <laughs> somewhere else with friends doing the same thing. So a couple weeks ago, I started a Women Crush Wednesday hangout at my favorite uh, woman-owned bar, Bar Helix, which is actually hosting my launch party for the Bossed Up Bug here in Denver. And it's great to support a, a Black woman entrepreneur who's got a great bar, but it's also great to have this recurring date with all my favorite women in all of Denver, who I just invite like 20 people and whoever can show up shows up. Um, so there are ways we can hack into our own habits to make what we're missing a priority. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I think that the agency one feels slippery because it feels like if you don't feel you have control, so in the same way you were crying in the car with your bones and you felt like, right. oh, like I'm, this tiredness is in my bones and I don't have control. Like that feels to me so complicated of like, how can somebody start to feel a sense of initiative? So yeah. what, what did you do to take back control? Or agency. Yeah. So let's break this one down because I had to get specific. Like what was making me feel a lack of agency? Mm-hmm. Um, one I identified was this feeling like I needed to prove myself worthy of the job I had already been given. Oh, so tiring. I can see that. I think a lot right? of people are going to relate to that. Okay. So it required, I think I uncovered this in therapy, but it required me really recognizing, wow, someone hired me for this job. They believe that I'm worthy of this job. They believe I can do it. And look at my past performance. For the past three years, I've been crushing it. We had some of the highest numbers of phone calls made for healthcare reform per capita than any state in the country. I had the biggest internship program that I had devised and run and managed myself as a single staff state director. There is hard evidence showing me I'm doing a good job. So I need to stop operating as though I'm still interviewing for this position and constantly needing to prove myself worthy. And instead, I need to get more clear with myself of what are realistic expectations, not aspirations for what my performance looks like. So that was an internal battle, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of us can process this either through conversation with another or a trained professional or through journaling. I was a heavy journal journaler because I 
really used writing to process what I was feeling and thinking and gain clarity that way. Agency in my relationship looked like constantly feeling on eggshells that I was going to displease my partner and, and living with him, living with an alcoholic was not a good thing for my agency. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but I had to leave that relationship. I had to not live with that partner. And it left me in thousands of dollars in debt because I was beholden to our lease and he made it impossible for me to sublet my half of our two bedroom apartment. It involved the police. I'm talking about like dangerous leaving an addict type scenarios that I tend to not go into in too much detail, but shit is scary sometimes when you're taking your power over your own life Mm. because you're breaking with habits and sometimes breaking with people who are used to you living for them instead of for yourself. I love everything you're sharing. And one thing that I think is so huge for people in the workforce is you kind of talked about like your job and like, there's so much of you that enjoyed your job, but how you relate to the job. So the stories you're telling Uh. yourself, like that you have to prove yourself can change something. And I tell clients sometimes it's like, I love cupcakes and anybody who watches me on the internet knows that I have my snack accidents and my cupcake problem. But you know, if I put little anxiety sprinkles on my cupcake, it's going to taste bad. And it's like, your career can be a cupcake. You can love what you're doing. But if you put an energy on it that, for example, speaking, the longest time I declined speaking engagements because I thought, I don't really like speaking. Um, I I had a whole story to support it. Like I'm an introvert, but I'm really not. Um, And I was like, why am I coming up with this? And I realized it's because the amount that I put myself through before a speech is like unspeakable, like the stress. And people always tell me like, that's so crazy because when you go on stage, you act like this is like home for you. And so I was able to realize like, oh, wow, I'm really good at speaking. I'm really good at speeches, but I don't feel a sense of agency. I don't feel a sense of control Mm. to guarantee that it's going to go well. And I really want to honor my commitment if they're paying me to do a keynote, right? Or if they're not. And so um, that's something that I've really worked on is my beliefs about the speaking. Because when I'm doing it, I feel like a dopamine hit and a high of like really supporting the world and sharing everything I've learned and pulling all these like pearls through the like memories that I have and sharing them with the world. But um, so sometimes it's like you don't feel a sense of agency, but it doesn't mean you're in the wrong career for you. It might just mean you're not relating to the career in a way that you need to, which is such deep work to figure out. Exactly. And and the way you put that, how you relate to your work can apply to burnout writ large. Like how you relate to your outcomes is a really important mindset shift that can get people out of burnout. Because if we feel like we are a victim and no matter what we do, the outcomes will be determined not by us, but by outside forces that relation is what needs to be strengthened. Mm. That's what needs to shift, what needs to be worked on, whether it's through therapy, journaling, community, or, um, you know, or just self-reflection. You have to feel like the boss of your life. That's why bossed up is the name of everything I do, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's a hip hop term Mm -hmm. about looking injustice and, and systems of oppression in the eye and saying, I'm going to be the creator of my own story. I'm going to come up, right? I'm going to write my own come up story on my own terms. And I'm going to see myself as the protagonist, Mm -hmm. as the main character in my life story. Um, Outcomes be damned. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like just seeing yourself 
as an agent of change in your own life is all about how you relate to your outcomes, whether it's work, love, wellness, or anything. Mm. And I know we talked about, you know, you, you with community and me with agency and kind of like unpacking that rest feels like it can be straightforward. Like, are you sleeping and are you taking lunch breaks? Like, are you creating space for your brain? I'm sure I could ask you a ton about that. Um, and purpose is something that I talk about all the time on this show. And I'm sure you do with bossed up. And I'm kind of curious, um, this final piece of adding in renewal. Um, are there some other examples that maybe people aren't thinking about? You know, like I think a lot of people aren't realizing how much not taking their vacation days can be hurting them or yeah. um, not taking their lunch breaks. But do you have any other fun little hacks of like, hey, it gives your <laughs> yeah. friend some rest? I like to think about rest on a daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly basis. So I would write down, how am I resting every day? Where is the rest and renewal built into my day? Because we know that the human brain tends to operate on 90-minute intervals of focus, and then it needs a break. (laughs) So how am I building in a mid-morning snack break or a lunch break or whatever those regular daily moments of rest and renewal are? Then looking at the week, the month, and the year, because I always encourage my team, for instance, at Bossed Up, let's get everyone's vacation on the calendar a quarter ahead of time. So we always know that we expect people to take time off. And I'm not talking about, oh, I'm out of office, but I'll check email every day. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to design for unplugged vacation time for every team member in a way that doesn't cripple our business Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that, you know, we, we can plan ahead, we can fill in for each other and we are happy to chip in for one another because it means that when I'm out of office, I'm fully unplugged. I'm not expected to chime in or to check in. And I know that they're going to cover for me. Mm. So vacation, I mean, four out of 10 Americans passed up paid vacation days back in 2010. (laughs) And it's just like, it's not, It's not necessarily that people don't want to take vacation. It's that we want to be seen as the office martyr. It's that we live in a burnout culture that sees rest and renewal as anti-productivity instead of pro-productivity. And I understand that we're operating in a pretty toxic environment, but it takes a willingness and a courage to be assertive about actually using the privilege we have or the rights that we have that for A long time, workers didn't have those rights, but unions fought hard for them. Let's not squander them. Let's not work all weekend long after, you know, many, many people who came before us died fighting for our right to a weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's there's a slippery slope that's happening right now when it comes to cultural norms of working all the time and being, you know, online and and answering emails 24-7 that is detracting from some of the systems that were put in place to protect workers' rights. So beautiful. This has been such a wonderful conversation. And I'm curious, like, do you have any last words for anybody listening who might be on the brink of a burnout or is just really resonating with all of this? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is to reach out, whether it's sending me a message or sending you a message or just asking for support from your community it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. And I bet that when you do, you'll find out that you are far from alone. You're not the only one who's struggling with this. So it's, it's a strategic move to actually bring others into the conversation because it'll help you get to where you need to go faster. And where can everybody find you? Because I'm sure after this, they're like, yeah. we learn from this amazing woman. 
Well, thank you so much, Ashley. Folks can subscribe to the Bossed Up podcast. That's B-O-S-S-E-D-U-P, Bossed Up. And you can find me at bossedup.com where I've got my new book, Bossed Up, A Grown Woman's Guide to Getting Your Shit Together, debuting on May 21st. Well, I think plenty of us need to get our shit together. So that sounds like an A-plus <laughs> book. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Hey, there's Ashley Stahl here, and I am really doing something weird right now. I'm showing up to talk to you about this conversation with Emily without really knowing what I'm going to say. Usually, I get on the post-episode conversation, and I have a few ideas, but my mind is totally blank, and so I'm just going to kind of free flow with you here. Um, Listening to her talk about burnout brought up a lot for me because going through a burnout was one of the most scary things that I've ever been through. Um, There was a period of time where... I remembered the person that I was when I wasn't burnt out. I remember having an insurmountable to-do list and being able to make my way through it every single day and having all of this energy and all of this excitement and all of this enthusiasm in my career. And when I felt this sense of burnout, there are so many different things that changed in my body's chemistry and in my way of being in the world. Number one, I was forgetful for the first time in my whole life. Like, I remember looking back, you know, I used to judge people for being forgetful because I was just so on my shit that I'd be like, how do people forget basic things like their wallet or their tickets to their concert or whatever? And it was just so interesting for me to realize um, that I am now one of those people. Like so many different things happened to me when I started to really face the burnout, like um, Burning Man. Like I forgot my ticket to Burning Man. I flew to Nevada. Uh, and those of you who don't know Burning Man, it's a, it's like, it's not really a festival, but it's an event in the desert with art and music every single year. Um, and it's really out there in the middle of nowhere and you need your ticket. I forgot my ticket. I lost credit cards. I um, was late for things. Like like something about my way in the world just totally changed. And it was one of the most scary things that I've ever been through because I felt like I didn't really know myself. Like things were repeatedly happening that I was like, I'm late for this. I forgot that. Like I never forget things. Like I found myself constantly saying the sentence, I never, and then fill in the blank. But now I was. And it was, the burnout was so real for me. And I remember having this moment where I met up with my friend Jane from DC and we worked in counterterrorism together at the Pentagon. And, um, well, she was at the State Department and she had helped me a lot in my job hunt in my earlier 20s. And she was like a very generous, amazing woman. And our career paths have taken very interesting tra- trajectories. So I met her in DC. She was at the State Department. I was at the Department of Defense. She helped me out on my job hunt. I started a company, she started a company, and now we're both authors. And her book was coming out, and so I sat down with her um, to catch up with her when she was in town in LA, and you know, we just go way back. And so I was talking to her about how I'm going through this burnout, and she looked at me with like a, the type of compassion that somebody can only look at you if they've actually been there. And I was like, oh wow, you've had this. And she said, yeah. And I said, isn't it scary? Like, don't you feel this hopelessness, like this wondering of, am I ever going to come back from this? Am I ever going to be me again? And um, 
she said to me something that I'll never forget. She said, you have to stop forcing it because your brain does change when you put a lot of stress on it. And the way that the brain works, and I think I've said this before, and anxiety works is that usually you're in a heightened state of fight or flight when you're trying to get things done because you're in survival mode. But after that time of pressure ends is when your brain really goes foggy and into burnout. And a lot of that is because your body finally has permission to process what it's been through. Um, and so burnout or anxiety or trauma usually will hit you way later than when the event is happening. And she was saying, you literally are working out of a different brain. Like your brain isn't the same. Like the brain that created all the results in your company and the brain that helped you get through that to-do list, that's not your brain anymore. That's not where you are right now. Your brain needs to heal. Like you need to take time off and you have to not be expected to work. You have to be doing nothing for like two months. She's like the kind of burnout you're going through, you need a lot of time. And I looked at her thinking like, okay, well, I'm really lucky that I have a business and flexibility. I don't know if I can afford to take off two entire months, not thinking about work. You know, I could do two months, but checking email and like doing some minimal things. She's like, no, you need two months of not thinking about work. And I ended up doing the best I could. I took off three weeks, hung out in a forest and I made a couple realizations. Number one, I realized she's really right. You know, like the brain that we're working out of when we go through a burnout isn't the same brain that we created all of these things with. So we need to take care of our brain. It's it's like a muscle, like anything else in our body, and it goes through an injury and it needs to heal. And so I sat there in silence and I every morning for three weeks I was in Paris and I had nothing to do other than wake up and hang out with this old um, lady who's 70 years old and she's my friend there named Fabienne. And I totally have like a secret life in Paris with this woman. Like she literally takes me to the Louvre and talks to me about art and is retired and she's super inspiring and learns languages just for the sake of it. I literally just hung out with her for three weeks and ate food and walked around mu- museums, which I know you're probably listening and thinking, well, that's nice, but I can't do that. I totally totally get it. So what I want to share with you is the truth. Number one, your brain does need a break, so you need to take it. So if you're in a job right now that has you burnt out, explore the possibility of really taking a vacation. And if your employer is only giving you two weeks and you need more than that, you need to talk to them about taking an unpaid vacation or doing whatever it is to take care of your brain. Um, because your mental health is so important. And if you keep putting a bandaid over a gaping wound, it's never going to heal. It's never going to heal. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if you're in fear that you've changed or something's not working for you, know that you're not lost. Like there was a period of time where I thought my old self died. Like the part of me and the the way of being, of being able to do a lot and be a lot. I was like, what happened to me? Where did my motivation go? And I almost went through this depression of like, did I leave the building? Like, am I gone? And it was so scary. And I just want to remind you, like, you're never gone. Like, you know, like you've never, you're never lost. Like you're never that part of you that used to be quote unquote motivated or used to be very effective is still inside of you. And you just need to go through some sort of healing and space to get back to you. Um, but it's not lost. It's not over. It's not gone. You never lose a part of you. You know, like the part of you that's a go-getter is always going to know how to show up and be a go-getter. Um, when you're struggling to be that person, to be effective in the world, it's just feedback that your body needs a second, truly. And Another thing um, I wanted to share is um, to really, really love yourself. 
because self-love, a lot of people with the world of self-love right now, they run away. They think that they need to do bubble baths and spa treatments and treat themselves to that extra cupcake. Self-love is not always that. Self-love sometimes is taking time off because you need space. Self-love is making a spreadsheet because you got into debt and you need to get yourself out. Self-love is not chocolates and cakes. Maybe sometimes it is, but a lot of the times it's getting on a better diet so you can get your health back in order so you can focus again. So I would say right now, if you're going through a burnout, um, really ask yourself, how can I love myself? What does responsibility really look like? How do I really do what's in the highest good for me, my being, my body? Um, and just remember, you're not gone. That part of you that was really talented, that was really effective, that was really inspired. Whenever I meet somebody that feels really low on energy, what I found is that they need a break or they're low on purpose. They don't know what their purpose is. They don't know what they should do next. And if you're burnt out, exhausted, and beyond the point of being able to really just bounce back in any natural circumstance, you need to take time off. Um, so I would start being with the question of how do I do that? Um, does it mean you giving notice at your job, getting a new job and um, starting a month later? Like really asking yourself what you need to do to support yourself through this. Does it mean talking to HR? Um, really being courageous because it's time that we all take a stand for our bodies, our beings. It's so important that we Nurture our soul because our souls get lost in our work life sometimes and it's time to come home to ourselves and honor our bodies. You are worth it. You are worthy. You deserve it. Your body is a messenger and it deserves, it deserves to be listened to. All right. Sending you a lot of love. Can't wait to hear what you thought of this episode. And thanks again to those of you pointing, um, going on the podcast app of your iPhone and writing reviews. The written reviews are so helpful. It means the world. All right. Sending you lots of love and um, hoping that you love yourself today even more. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. 
As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.